Kieran Hodgson has forged a career as one of our most entertaining actors, writers and comedians. He's won awards and accolades at Edinburgh for shows on the unlikely subjects of school French exchanges and British politics in the 1970s. Kieran explains to Michael Barclay how he found out about the Russian composer Alfred Schnitke. As a teenager, you played with a really good local orchestra in the Home Valley. And it was about this time, I think, you discovered the 20th century composer Alfred Schnitke. Yes. Um, in the orchestra, there were various professors who taught music at nearby Huddersfield University, one of whom was called uh, Julia. And she had said to me, I think you would like Schnitke. And she was absolutely right. And I love Schnitke for the phantasmagorical aspects of his music. But none of us is ever really just one thing. And that is summed up by the choice I've made today, which is of his choir concerto, which is really not very characteristic at all of Alfred Schnitke's usual idiom. Um, but it has this cosmic focus and depth to it and this amazing harmonic crunching to me that's almost like galaxies folding in on one another and then it just breathes out into these amens uh, in this concluding movement and um, I think it's stunning. It was composed in the 1980s when Schnitke was banned from leaving the Soviet Union and it sets words from the Book of Lamentations by the 10th century Armenian monk Gregory of Narek. It's a deeply spiritual work which reflects Schnitke's turn towards Christianity as well as Russian orthodox chant. Uh, do you love those influences as, as they come into it, the, the sort of Russian sound? I certainly do, and I couldn't quite believe the first time I bought the CD and put it on my stereo the total lack of accompaniment because having been in a few choirs myself, admittedly amateur ones, I had a sense of how difficult and complex the harmonic language is within this music. And to do that without any support from an organ or an orchestra is breathtaking. And then a friend of mine said, oh yeah, all Russian Orthodox music's like that. And um, that astounded me. And I was yeah um, in awe of this music even more.
the last movement of the Choir Concerto by Alfred Schnitka with Valery Polyansky conducting the Soviet Union Ministry of Culture Chamber Choir. I see, Kieran Hodgson, exactly what you mean. That's not an easy piece to pitch, is it, without any accompaniment? It's when you see, for example, the alto parts split into six different sub-parts. You think, oh, wow, this is, um, yes, on a, a, an astronomical plane different from mine. <laughs> Were you already making people laugh? I mean, did, did that uh, possibility of being a comedian um, occur at this kind of stage? Yes, and the signs that uh, making people laugh would be a good career choice were far clearer than the signs uh, for becoming a composer. I entered and, dare I say, won the school talent show when I was 11 doing impressions. I did Tony Blair and William Hague and a very, very poor and inaccurate Charles Kennedy. And everyone laughed, teachers and students alike. And I thought, OK, I might be able to continue doing this and I love doing this so yes that seemed uh, more sustainable Here's the Gaither vocal band with Wonderful Grace of Jesus Wonderful Grace of Jesus Greater than all my sin How shall my tongue describe it where shall this praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful the matchless grace, the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, the rolling sea. Higher than the mountains, brave like a thousand oceans, raised for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgression, sing it. Greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise His name. Wonderful grace of Jesus. Reaching the most defiled By his transforming power Making him God's dear child Purchasing peace and heaven For all eternity For the wonderful grace of Jesus Reaches me Wonderful the matchless grace The matchless grace of Jesus Deeper than the mighty rolling sea The rolling sea Higher than the mountains Like a thousand oceans Raised for even me Broader than the scope of my transgression Sing it Greater far than all my sin and shame Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise his name. Wonderful the master's grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea. Higher than the mountains, sparkling like a fountain, 
All sufficient grace for even me, for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus, wonderful name of Jesus. Praise His holy name. Elaine Brown is an author and a member of Pitlochry Baptist Church. Elaine has produced a series of talks for us on hymns which mean a lot to her. Today she tells the story of John Newton and how he wrote Amazing Grace. On lockdown Sundays, and sometimes during the week too, hymns and songs have sometimes come to my mind. And then I've recalled maybe the story behind the hymn, or a time when the song specially helped me. This has been a valued part of my faith journey over these months, so I thought I'd share one or two of the songs with you. Today, I've chosen the hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. It was written way back in the 1700s by a one-time slave trader called John Newton. He has a story which is almost as amazing as the grace which rescued him. John was an only child. His mother had a firm faith in God. Her husband was much older and a well-weathered sea captain, often away for lengths of time. John's mother carefully taught him how to live and please God. She little knew how valuable that teaching would later prove to be. In time, John's father found him an opening at sea. He was just a teenager, but he got into bad company amongst the crew and began to lead a rough, immoral life. Worst of all was his foul mouth. Even the other sailors despised him for it. He flouted rules on merchant and naval ships and suffered for it, but he didn't seem to care. Eventually, John joined a slave trader working in a West African country and gathering slaves for the ships which called. In time, John fell foul of this boss and ended up himself a slave on a nearby plantation. Sick and desperate, he didn't know where to turn. John's father heard of his plight and arranged for a slave ship to rescue him. And so he returned to Britain. Eventually, John found work on the crew of a slaving boat. Looking at the boat, when he got on board, he saw that it was in a very poor condition. However, he joined the crew and they plied between Britain, the west coast of Africa and the eastern seaboard of the United States. On the way back to England on one of these voyages, they hit a tremendous storm, severe and prolonged, such as John had never seen before. Remembering the state of the ship, John was in great fear for their lives. There, at the helm, 
in his desperation, he suddenly found himself calling out to God. What was he doing? And yet he didn't know where else to turn. John was never to forget that moment. The storm continued, though eventually abated, and the crippled ship reached port. But for John, he had a new respect for God, a new desire to know more about God. He was beginning to be a changed man. Later, he was to write, as we shall find when I read the hymn, How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. John had yet a journey in his faith ahead of him. He spent more years at sea, and he married Polly, a childhood sweetheart who had stayed faithful to him. In time, he left the sea and became a much-loved Church of England minister for many, many years, living to the old age of 82. He wrote many hymns, and perhaps one of the best known, apart from Amazing Grace, is How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. That meant so much to John. Let me read John Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace. Truly, it's the testimony of a remarkable life. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed, through many dangers toils and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise than when we've first begun. And here we heard from Elaine Brown. It was recorded and edited for us by Larry Gentis. Now for the song. And so many people have recorded it since Judy Collins brought it to the world's attention in the early 1970s. It's very difficult to choose. But here is Amazing Grace as recorded by Valerie Dunbar.
up was the Hillsong's musicians. Malcolm Kite has written a series of meditations based on the Psalms. Today we hear Malcolm's reading of Psalm 37. It's followed by Sally Beamish's motet, In the Stillness, performed by the Aura Singers under their conductor Susie Digby. A response to Psalm 37. I'll fret no more for passing wickedness, no more than for the new-mown grass that fades to leave room for the growth and tenderness of fresh green leaves, the cool inviting glades of my new life in you, my heart's desire. The true sun rises now, and soon the shades, the last black shades of night, will back retire and mix no more with good. Then I will sing the song of my redemption in that choir where I, whom you have made, at last can bring my song to its beginning and its end. Till then, I'll be content with each small thing your love provides and let the rich contend with one another for their fading wealth. For I have found my God and my true friend. Judy Gentis have produced a series of talks about Bible characters. Today, Judy tells the dramatic story of Deborah, the prophetess. Just a quick question. How do you feel about weak men who won't step up to the mark and be courageous? It's important for the story I have to tell you, but we'll talk about that later. My name is Deborah, and I'm a prophetess of our God. It's simple. I sit underneath the palm tree between Ramah and Bethel at designated times and people come to me to inquire what is the will of the Lord for their particular situation and they ask for judgments. I've never been like other women and it's a wonder how I ever got married. 
As far back as I can remember, my perceptions were not like those of my friends and family. I could see things from a different point of view, and my opinions were often unexpected. It got me into quite a lot of trouble more than once. As a woman, I confess, it's been difficult, as we're in a society where men rule the roost, even if they're not qualified to do so. And if there's one thing I cannot abide, it's a weak man. I thank God every day that my husband is not like that. At the time of my story, we were at war with Jabin of the Canaanites, and he had a well-supplied trained army with 900 iron chariots. He had been in control for 20 years or so, and he was cruel and a harsh leader who dealt with opposition without mercy. My people finally started to fight back, as you can only oppress folks so far. When the people see no hope, they've got nothing left to lose. We were a ragtag band of stragglers compared to the well-oiled war machine of the Canaanites. But, as I said, we had nothing to lose. Caesarea was the Canaanite general, and he was every bit as cruel as his master. One day I had a word from the Lord for our armies. So I summoned Barak, who was the general over them. Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march on Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops, to the river Kishon, and I will give him over into your hand. You see, this was a time we didn't even have an army that was assembled to fight the Canaanites. <laughs> his response really surprised me. If you will go with me, he said, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Why would he say a thing like that? Well, here are some possibilities. Perhaps he doesn't have his own leadership firmly established between himself and his soldiers, and my presence was necessary to firm up his command. Or he doesn't believe that we can defeat the Canaanites and will lose. And if we do, I'll suffer the same fate as he and the rest of the men. Personally, I think it was more likely to be the second. In any case, I responded to him with a prophetic word, and this is what it was. I will surely go up with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on this journey that you are about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. In, in our culture, this would have been a supreme insult. For a warrior to be slain by a woman and she, not Barak, would get the credit for Sisera's de demise. So, off we went to assemble the men from Naphtali and Zebulun, and off we went to battle. Sisera heard we'd assembled the army, so he ordered his 900 chariots to muster at a place called Harosheth Hagoyim. Then I had another word from the Lord for Barak. Arise, for on this day, in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands, behold, the Lord has gone out before you. Then the Lord routed Sisera, his chariots, and all his army from before Barak. Only Sisera himself survived out of that whole army, and he was on the run. He fled to the tent of a man named Heber the Canaanite. His wife, Jael, was inside. Sisera thought he would be in a safe place and asked her for a drink of water. Instead of water, she gave him milk and he told her to stand watch in the doorway and if anybody was to come looking for him, she was to say there was nobody there. Then he slept. But 
While he slept, she took a tent peg and a hammer and drove it straight through his temples, and he died. This confirmed the word of the Lord that Barak would be victorious, but he would be upstaged by the killing of Sisera by Jael, Heber's wife. Well, this was the beginning of the end for the Canaanite oppressors. In time, our armies took back the territory that Jabin had stolen from us, and we were freed from his tyranny until he was utterly destroyed. As I said in the beginning, I cannot abide a weak man. And this story has many of them. So, which one of them do you think was the weakest? Was it Barak? Sisera? Jabin? Take your pick. But one thing's certain. Never underestimate the power of a determined woman. Or do so at your own peril. Here's another song about grace. This time it's from Kate Simmons. It's her song, Grace is not earned or deserved. It is the gift of God.
Alan Sorensen is a regular contributor to Pause for Thought on Radio 2. Alan has given us permission to broadcast some of his God spots, and today he has one on Living Backwards. Someone once said, wouldn't it be great if we lived our lives in reverse, eh? You should die first, get it out of the way, then live for 20 years in an old folks' home till you get kicked out for being too young. Get a gold watch, go to work for 40 years until you're young enough to enjoy your retirement, then go to college, party until you're ready for school, become a little kid and play out in the street, you'd have no responsibilities, you become a little baby, you go back into the womb, spend your last months floating around and finish up a gleam in someone's eye. Now, if that appeals to you, then whatever age you are, go out and have some fun today. God didn't make us for drudgery. Old age is what happens to you only when you start thinking that you're getting too old. And anyway, we did start out as a gleam in someone's eye, God's, and we will end up there too. Excessive blessings to you. Toodaloo the new. Alan Sorensen with quite a thought for us there. Here's Elvis with some advice. Take your troubles to the chapel, get down on your knees and pray. Yes, it's crying in the chapel. You saw me crying in the chapel The tears I shed were tears of joy I know the meaning of content Now I'm weeping with the Lord Just a plain and Simple child and Laura's Flores and Mercy Everlasting.
See? 